We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report. With Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Everybody to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger, and we are here tonight talking about offensive free agency. Chris, we're finally here. I mean, I'm looking at the calendar. What? From tonight, one, two, seven, that's nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen days, two, two weeks. weeks. Remove Jinx, you owe me a Coke. <laughs> Jinx, Jinx, you owe me a Jenny Cream. You can talk. I'm not drinking. You can talk, okay? We're done. We're not playing Jenny Creams in this place. The, the, the Sports Rock knows all about how I feel about that. We're 14 days away from free agent signing day. And so with that in mind, I I feel like it's finally time. We're finally here. Enough is enough is materialized about the market to really start digging into the specifics of the prospects involved, who's available, who's not. Because like as we talked about last week with Anthony Prohaska, some of what people, you know, people who are doing free agency shows at the beginning of February, the landscape of some position groups has already changed. And we still have a whole week before franchise tags get doled out. So it's going to keep evolving. But all of a sudden there's players being released, you know, especially now. Now is the time with the NFL Combine going on. Yeah, what I see that uh, uh, Landry from the Browns might be up for trade or just outright getting cut yeah it's they know that they're not contending this year the way they thought they were last year so they're probably going to divest themselves of his services all of a sudden he's on the market someone we talked about during our last podcast our uh, twitter spaces show which is which is fun i like doing that yeah but uh no kyle rudolph gets added to the tight end group and you say to yourself okay he was gonna make five million and the giants decided that wasn't worth it Probably plays for a smaller contract. Is he? He's a great blocker. 
He was never the most dynamic pass guy, but does he change the complexion of that group now? Because before we were worried, like, oh, all of the talent is going to get tagged. You see backups already getting paid contracts that make you roll your eyes. And you say to yourself, okay, a guy who only has 300 yards receiving <laughs> just got paid like $6 million a year. This isn't good. All of a sudden, a guy on a $5 million deal in Kyle Rudolph hits the market and you say, well, wait a minute, maybe... Maybe this does more for it. Maybe this changes some of these dynamics. It's why I like waiting until now to really start digging into this stuff. And <clears throat> I think we start tonight's show by just kind of running down what we last week when we talked. The markets that the Bills probably aren't interested in, that we could cross right off the list before we even have to talk about them. I'd start with the interior of the offensive line. Now, Anthony did a really good job touching on how average pay for NFL guards rises on an annual basis. I pointed out that every team is now spending about $10 million on its guard combination, which meant that the Bills were probably more likely to try to retain their own talent there than go fishing for what might be perceived as quote-unquote upgrades. Because if they can spend $6, 7000000 million and keep their own bodies, or spend $14 million and bring in new guys who they don't know are better than what they already have on hand with better coaching, that would seem like a mistake, wouldn't it? Yeah. You could say the same for the center position. Just a few years ago, Mitch Moore signed the richest offensive center contract ever. He's nearing the end of his career. This year is probably the last that he plays in the NFL. He was thinking about retirement last year. But year over year, center pay has increased significantly to a point where Frank Ragnow set the market last year with his four-year, $54 million deal that had more than double the guaranteed money that Mitch Morse got, what, 2019? So in a space of three years, guaranteed money on the richest contract for that position ever doubled. That's crazy. Yeah, so I guess this year or next year, you should look at it in the draft. Well, that's it. So that becomes a I position. I did hear Cowherd this week say that his like can't-miss prospect out of the draft is the center from Iowa, which they're known for producing tight ends and tight linemen. Ends and offensive linemen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, I'd say that's fair. I, I don't know of many DNs. I mean, there's AJ Epinesa. What's another DN you've heard of out of Iowa? Um, Call in if you know. <laughs> also, when you look at the offensive tackle group, they're flush with talent there. You've got Spencer Brown, who's a sophomore. He's pretty much locked in as your right tackle. Your swing tackle is probably your starting guard. I think we showed that this past year. Whenever we had a need at right guard, when Spencer Brown missed games, or when it was Darrell Williams sliding out to play that position. So your swing tackle is basically your starting guard. Uh, Deion Dawkins is locked up on a long-term deal. You don't have a need to add anything there. Definitely not in free agency, and maybe not even in the draft. Would you agree with me there? Seems reasonable until somebody gets injured. Well... I feel like offensive linemen and cornerbacks are the two positions like where you could just never have enough. That's fair. No, because they're so important to what you're structurally trying to do with you with that side of the ball. Uh, you saw what happened. Tommy Doyle came in for one snap. One snap. Because Deion Dawkins had to leave the field against the Jets. Dable dialed up like a 13-yard passing pattern. Like, hey, we're going to get to the sticks and beyond. Tommy Doyle never touched Shaq Lawson. Shaq Lawson ran right past him for a sack. 
And I, fe- I felt bad. And when you looked, you saw Josh Allen storming towards the sidelines, yelling, what the fuck am I supposed to do? And then the camera cuts away from him. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's why you shouldn't put a rookie who you took in what? The what round? Fifth round? Fifth Maybe sixth. Oh God. Either way, it doesn't matter. It, but so that's my point. Like you take, lose a guy, even for a snap, it can come back to bite you in the ass. Unfortunately, you only have enough money to go around. You know, right. Uh, no, you don't see any team paying. No, that's, that's not true. There are some teams that have long-term deals signed for both their right tackle and left tackle. But those teams are few and far between. Most teams do what the bills are currently doing. And our guard depth isn't elite, right? Our players aren't elite, but they're good enough. And maybe they'll improve with, like Anthony explained, with better coaching. So, I don't know. Even if they're not the highest floor talent in the world, I still don't see the Bills swinging for the fences. I just think it. the offensive line as a whole, you're not touching that group. And so, I'm not going to bother talking about what's out there in the free agent market because I, I genuinely don't care. Uh, kickers pro- probably don't matter. Yep. Uh, Long snappers. Punters. Punters. Punter is interesting because... Punter might get drafted. You shut the fuck up. I'm sorry. I snapped. You said draft a punter, and I just blacked out for a second. I'm sorry, folks. We drafted Tyler Bass. (laughs) I just heard draft and punter in the same sentence, and I don't know what happened. I saw stars... And like got a sense of vertigo, tell, and my mouth started moving. You tell me punters don't get drafted? They shouldn't. Unless you're the Jaguars, Chris. And then you take one in the third round. Long snappers. Remember they called him Legatron, I think they called him? <laughs> Long snappers get drafted. Kickers get drafted. Why can't punters get drafted? I'll tell you what. You do, Roberto Aguayo is why you don't do it. That's a kicker. Yeah, but you don't do it because no matter what you give up for that guy... Do we have late round picks? A couple. Nah. Do we have like multiple, like multiple fifth, sixth, seventh? It's not a good idea. You're never going to convince me that drafting a punter is a good idea. I didn't think you'd get me to raise my voice this early in the podcast. We're already peaking from an audio standpoint. Damn you for doing this to me. I'm a, yeah. I got some. Uh, I got a couple weeks to marinate on that. Yeah, so you I might have to throw Seagram's at you. Oh, my God. We'll yeah, see. Yeah, think about it. Yeah. T- think about it long and hard. I will. Once free agency happens, I'll let you know if I think we're going to draft a punter. Jesus Christ. And then we can do a Seagram's. This is, this is how you want to start the podcast? You want to start it with a fight? God, I hate you. Not a fight. A potential <laughs> Seagram's bet on the draft of getting a punter. Here's the first interesting category. Really, like, genuinely interesting. Quarterback two. It's been an interesting discussion for Bills fans over the last few weeks. I've seen some of the debate on Twitter, different social media platforms. If only because the nature of the position's importance and the varying ways the Bills have handled that over the last few seasons has kind of evolved. At the very beginning of Josh Allen's career, he was drafted and he was the backup. He was CB. He was QB2. Nathan Peterman was supposed to be your starter. And he was so abysmal that you just couldn't do it. You just couldn't do it. And then when he went out for a couple games, didn't they like, what, what happened? What? How did that whole circus start? So he hurts his arm. He goes out against Houston. And then they, what, start, who did they call in off the couch? Craig Anderson? Who's a Houston? 
No, so Josh Allen gets hurt back in 2018. Oh, Derek Anderson. Derek Anderson. Craig Anderson. Hockey. So, Derek Anderson. Why was was Nathan Peterman cut already? Something like that. We, I mean, he, Did he, we release he him ended, already? Maybe. He ended up in Las Vegas fairly, fairly quickly. <laughs> yeah, because because uh, John Gruden, quote, couldn't get enough of that Nathan Peterman. Yep. <laughs> Spider-wide two banana. Oh, my God. So Josh Allen was your developmental QB, too. That's what he was supposed to be. And I think people lose sight of that because of the way that season went and how quickly he had to be thrown off, taken off the bench and thrown into the fire. He started out as the developmental CB2, or QB2. I keep saying cornerback. Chris. QB2. Shot collar. Can we get one? Probably. Veteran mentor. That became the next iteration of QB2. When Josh Allen kind of took, okay, I have the reins of this offense now. It's 2019. I need somebody who's been here before to kind of walk me through this. Actually, Matt Barkley came in and won that Jets game in 2018. So Matt Barkley was around. Robert, yeah. he, you, you lost to Seagrams. It was the fastest one you'd ever lost because you said that the Bills wouldn't score a touchdown. Yeah, and I don't they scored to remember th- that. And they scored in three plays. <laughs> so they had already decided, hey, veteran mentor for this guy. That's going to be the road forward now. Well, then Josh Allen finally kind of reached his peak. He reached, hey, I'm finally an elite quarterback. Then they bring in Mitch Trubisky and they cut Matt Barkley in training camp because now it becomes not enough to have a guy who has your quarterbacks back. Now you need somebody who you can actually throw in there and trust to throw the ball. Something we remarked on a lot that when Barkley would take over for Josh Allen, even if for a couple snaps, like I think it happened in that Chargers game in 2020 when we thought he'd hurt his knee on a dirty hit by Joey Bosa. And they put in Matt Barkley and they run the ball three times and punt. They did not trust him to throw the football. Now they had to go out and find a backup that they trusted because if this guy goes down, somebody's got to win us games because we're a contender. So that's where they are now, right? Capable but underpaid replacement level starter. The problem is, is that who the hell is going to fit that here in 2022? I sent, I put out a tweet this week that was essentially just feigning shock. It was a report that there is going to be, you know, after all this speculation all offseason long about veteran quarterback movement, you know, Russell Wilson, he's not happy in Seattle and he's going to be gone. Now, he could be on the move. Um, Aaron Rodgers is going to be out in Green Bay and he's going to be on the market. Uh, who else? Oh, maybe the Cardinals and Kyler Murray won't make it work and he'll hit the market. It's all coming up as just white noise. There's not going to be any major quarterback movement. And nobody's willing to touch uh, Deshaun Watson. So with that in mind, it, it, it's <laughs> with that in mind, all of this quarterback movement we thought we were going to see not only are is it a, it amounts to a lot of hearsay, it also leaves a whole bunch of teams that were kind of banking on that in something of the lurch. Chris, it's hard to move quarterbacks like that. I mean, there's a reason it took Tom Brady five years to move on from the team. Remember when him and the Jimmy Garoppolo, like the whole power struggle there yeah. happened? It was like three or four seasons after that that he finally left the team. You kind of figured the writing was on the wall, and it still took forever to happen. 
Rodgers can embarrass the Packers publicly as many times as he wants to, and he will still be their quarterback as long as he's willing to cash the checks and show up and play on game day. Because talented quarterbacks, franchise, true franchise quarterbacks are an asset that you as a franchise cannot afford to divest yourself of. You make it work. And in that way, there's a lot of musical chairs that have to settle before the Bills are going to find their man. Because there's a lot of guys. I, what's going on out there reminds me a lot of the current housing market. There's huge demand and very little supply. You've got four teams at the top of this. Indy, Pittsburgh, Washington, New Orleans that thinks it has the chops to be competitive. But it has to, if they could just get slightly better than average quarterback play. So, look at Indy. Indy had seven pro bowlers this year, has a star running back, a great offensive line, and plays in a weak division. There's no reason they should have missed the playoffs last year, right? Yeah. Okay. They had a shitty quarterback. Washington, high-level defense, weapons on offense, weak division. No quarterback. No quarterback. They missed the playoffs. Their fans and GM alike are probably really disappointed that Wilson, Rodgers, Murray, none of these guys are going to be leaving their franchises. So they're going to have to look at a market with a lot of buyers and not that many options. Guys like Trubisky, Winston, Wentz, Bridgewater, those are the options. The next tier of teams are Cleveland, Carolina, and Houston. These are guys, they're a second tier of teams that have basically said, we're going to bring in veteran quarterback competition. It's basically them saying we have a starter, but he's on thin ice. So you've got a starter with not much talent and a guy behind him not talented enough to be the starter. I'm thinking about Ryan Fitzpatrick, Cam Newton, uh, Andy Dalton, Marcus Mariota. So you've got eight quarterbacks and seven teams that are quarterback hungry. Somebody's going to be left standing there. One of those eight quarterbacks is not going to get picked up by a team. And I feel like Brandon Bean's just going to have to walk up to him with the Frank Reynolds approach. Ah, I just approach him. I roll hundreds in my, I drop a magnum on the ground and pretend, pretend it was an accident. Uh, it's like, hey, I'm going to flash a little cash at him. Slip him some pictures of my quarterback doing ridiculous things and just be like, hey, guy, hey, you want to come win a Super Bowl? Come on now. Come on now. Chris, is there is there anyone specific out of those eight names that I just rattled off that you'd be interested in to back up Josh Allen in 2022? I don't know. I mean, obviously we're going to go with some old veteran quarterback. Should go pick up Super Bowl champion Nick Foles. He's available, right? I don't know if I hate that or not. I can't tell if I'm mad about that assertion. I don't know. He's a Super Bowl winner. He's also been bad whenever anybody went to him and said, hey, be my starter. But then again, he did great under Chip Kelly. Well, he had 28 touchdowns and two picks that season. He's capable. He might get you a win when you, in, a, in a pinch if you need it. Out of those guys, Fitz, Newton, Dalton, Mariota, Trubisky, Winston, Wentz, and Bridgewater, which one do you think is most likely to be available? I'm thinking it's got to be either Dalton or Mariota. Seems reasonable. Would you be comfortable with either one of them? Mariota. Mariota would be interesting. He's maybe the most interesting. He got a rough ride in Tennessee. That team sucked. Yeah. His his team's down there. He can move, too. And he's mobile, which helps your offense, and it helps you kind of, if you had to 
kind of put cobble together an offense around him, you could do that. I'd agree with you that I think Marcus Mariota is probably the most interesting. The one I don't want anything to do with. In fact, I'll give you two. Uh, You keep Andy Dalton the hell out of here. It's a good story, right? Good story. Andy Dalton, God broke the drought, blah, 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 blah. Now he's here. The, the, The red rifle, he's done. And similarly, so is the Amish rifle. I don't want him here either. Ryan Fitzpatrick, call it a hot take, but he's finished. He's got a bad hip. He's finished. He's an old man who couldn't throw the ball down the field when he was here 10 years ago. You mean to tell me he's going to do it now? If one more, I get it. It's a feel good story. I don't give a shit about feel good stories. I, I give a shit about somebody who can come in and win me a football game when our back is up against the wall because Josh Allen goes down with a knee injury or tweaks an ankle in the third quarter and we need somebody to come in and rescue a game. I need to know that they can throw the ball down the field and that ain't Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ugh. Tight end. Okay. Tight end two is a place that the Bills have something of a need. But like we touched on last week with Prohaska, there, there's only mul- there's not only multiple players that could be franchise tagged, but the contracts that are being doled out just make obtaining one of these guys in the open market look like something that might not be possible. But I'm, gonna lie, I'm not going to lie to you and say that I know enough about the tight end market or enough about a ton of this on my own. So with that in mind, we bring in tonight's guest. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mr. E.J. Snyder from the Bootleg Football Podcast. How are you, sir? And well, first of all, for our listeners who maybe don't know, because again, I, I don't know who's not listening to bootleg football. We talk about it all the time in this podcast. It's a fun, Chris, you every Saturday? Yeah. Appointment listening? Yeah. <laughs> I listen to bootleg every Saturday while I drive around our manufacturing facility. I got 12 hours to kill and nothing but time and podcasts to listen to bootleg is on my saturday playlist chris is, is so ej is the co-host of the bootleg football podcast and other various chicago bears themed football pursuits he's a long-suffering bears fan with western new york ties and i guess the question i want to start tonight with is how are you doing and more importantly what are you drinking <laughs> I'm drinking coffee because it's draft season, which means if I start drinking alcohol, I'm not going to get through near as many reports as I need to. So uh, I'm drinking coffee, and I have a little seltzer backup if I get through that. But uh, no, got to got to keep it clean. Other other than that, those uh, 10, 11 p.m. reports start to get pretty goofy. 
I'll um, tell you what, draft season for you guys, it's a thankless task. It really is. Like, you guys are out here just grinding, doing the yeoman's work. It's crazy yeah, it, to me that you have the dedication to this. I. It's funny. It's a love-hate thing, but it's mostly love. And the, the hate part is the late nights and the, you know, the prioritization of, like, you know, can I go to that? You know, kids' birthday party? Well, probably not. <laughs> probably got to write some more reports. Um, that's just part of it. But it, for me, it's my way into the league. Like, I, it helps me understand the entire league because it's the basis of how the league is populated, how the league is formed. And if I understand those players as they come into the league, it gives me a basis. And if I check back in with them, you know, they're available in three agent, free agency three or four years from now. Oh, yeah, I go back and I look at my report and I go, oh, he was able to do this. And, oh, he got some good coaching. He can do this now. Cool. Um, so it just gives me a grounding. Um, but, yeah, it's a hell of a lot of work. <laughs> Well, you guys do amazing. Like, that's what led us to Brett Coleman and thus led us to you. And that's how we came to know you guys was your draft content. You, It's top notch. The stuff that you guys put out is incredible. And I love that you guys and you and him got together and created this thing in bootleg football that is kind of this marriage of, hey, we can each talk about because you guys each have your own fandom, but you kind of you do a good job of suspending that while talking about the NFL as a whole every week and yet sometimes and I almost feel like it sucks for you both because you're two of the most knowledgeable people I know when it comes to draft stuff when it comes to free agency when it comes to football week in and week out you have some really amazing conversations about what goes on midseason and yet both of you live these tortured lives as fans of your respective fan bases it's just incredible that your teams subject you guys to the atrocities that they do. Well, we, I, I at least have have some hope. We, you know, full shift in the front office, new GM, new coach, uh, and you know that hope springs eternal for that stuff. If if the, if Chicago had decided to run it back, it would have been a very long season starting <laughs> now. Um, but uh, fresh slate, there's a lot of excitement. Um, you know, combines going on now, and that's when the one of the few times per year that the entire league gets together, all the coaches, all the front office, all the agents. And, you know, I've been hearing that there's a lot of excitement about the Eberflus and Ryan Poles pairing. So that's a that's a good start. <laughs> Brett, uh, he's still got the Texans. <laughs> <laughs> he's still got the Texans, which at this point, I mean, he should just defect. He you know, just he, defected. I don't know. Be a Bears fan. Be a Bills fan. Be literally. We invited him. He's he's a half Bears fan. We gave him half credit. Okay. All right. Well, at least you threw him a lifeline. You know it's the mercy. You know it's the mercy. You know who the Bills play this year. No. Chicago. Oh, just I can't saying wait for that. I can't wait for that week. Is just, it home or away? Do you know? No, they haven't announced yet, right? Well, we we know the. I think it's. He no, it's we're at Chicago. Uh-oh. Yeah, that'll be... <laughs> Meet you in the middle. That'll be interesting. I was going to say, I, I I think we can make plans around this one. So yeah. a fancy conversation requires a fancy drink. I'm just going to drink some Basil Hayden on the rocks. Chris, what nonsense did you chef up over there? I have a maple old-fashioned. That would be... I used the uh, Knob Creek Rye 115 proof, uh, two dashes of cardamom bitters, a bar spoon of maple syrup, and then I also smoked it with maple wood chips. This is your co-host's fault. I want our listeners to know, uh, EJ, I, I, you don't get away from this. You tolerate this, you support his behavior, and then Brett rubs off the wrong way on Chris, and now I have to deal with it. Yes, no, so basically you can yell directly at me, Drew. We can make this a one-to-one channel. <laughs> um, no, I. yeah, it, it's totally Brett's fault. 
I got nothing. That's yep. I, I listen to your show and responsibility. I listen to your show and you're like, oh, I'm drinking a beer. And he's like, oh, I've got this scotch that's aged whatever many years. And I put a float in it. It's like, you know, what I like I think I'm starting to like EJ more than Brett. <laughs> I feel like. <laughs> Uh, it's nice to have doppelgangers, but uh, yeah, uh, simpler tastes, I guess. But uh, yeah, for now, it's coffee and seltzer, so I can keep keep it straight at eleven o'clock at night when I'm watching, you know, somebody from Appalachian Ag and Tech. Jesus, <laughs> you couldn't pay me. So we're here talking about tight ends. We're in the middle of this conversation, and I was just explaining to our listeners that I don't know the nuance of this. I, it's a hell of a thing to draft. And this is like this is why I start here. You're the draftsman. You focus on the draft. Every year there's a third or fourth rounder that breaks out, like Dawson Knox did in 2021. Well, three tight ends drafted from Notre Dame and Iowa in the top 60 picks over the last three years fall flat on their collective faces. Brett would or uh, EJ would know. He's got Cole Komet. It, it's it's a it, it's an interesting position in that. Tight ends can be good at their job, but not the most dynamic players in the entire world. You can have tight ends that, depending on what their depending on what their job is in your offense, they could be great. They just don't put up stats that win you football games. And so, obviously, it's attractive this time of year when fans are looking at things and going, "Man, where just they say I want a tight end too." They put that in quotes and go, "I want a T too." <laughs> There's a giant, there's so much nuance to that <laughs> that you can't, I mean, the Buffalo Bills last year, there wasn't a tight end outside of Dawson Knox who took more than 22% of our snaps. Mm-hmm. In blocking situations, they brought in our backup offensive tackle instead of putting a tight end out there, which underscores what they think about everybody else in our depth chart. So it's obviously something that the Bills might want to address Yet I have a hard time thinking about how they might do it in free agency. You saw the deal that got Ian Thomas got there in Carolina. That how big of a turd in the punch bowl is that? <laughs> it's bad. It's really bad. I, I don't think people probably realize how bad it is. Um, I guarantee there are some uh, semi heated conversations going on in in Indy right now at the combine with GMs who are like, "What the." hell because Ian Thomas is not a guy that contributed a ton. Uh, I think the stat was he had 800 and something yards run and only 338 yards receiving to show for it. Yeah, he's got something like 800 routes run and something like 26 catches. (laughs) It's really ridiculous. And he's not that great a blocker either. And then – you, you want to talk cherries on top. And then it comes out that he's facing five misdemeanor counts from running away from the cops on his dirt bike last summer. And the Panthers knew that before they gave him what is a largely above market deal. And for those that for your listeners that don't know how deals get set is, hey, the last guy to get paid who is in my client's statistical range got X. So we want X plus five percent. So Every TE2 on the market now who is looking for what would have been mid-level money is going to go, uh-uh, we want that guy's money. And every other GM is going to go, I, you know, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be held by their stupidity. Yeah. And how ugly can this market get for tight ends if franchise tags do indeed come into play here in the next week? Uh, you franchise tag one or two of these guys at the top, the Njoku's, the Gisekis. 
Mm-hmm. Now you're talking about a, a there, there's no it helps. I mean, we talked last week with our guest about how franchise tags and they can affect the pay of a certain group because rising tides. No one's paying a tight end has a hard cap on it at some point, unless you're a Travis Kelsey, who's more of a wide receiver than a tight end. Unless you're that guy or a Rob Gronkowski in his prime, you're going to get paid based on the market dynamic. And the market dynamic for tight ends is there's a level that teams will go and there's a glass ceiling there. You just can't get past it. The problem is, is then when you franchise tag a bunch of these guys, you de- you deplete the pool, but the bottom but but the bottom half is getting overpaid now. It it creates this squeeze effect on the market that makes it feel like the Bills, in order to get a tight end too, with the cap dynamics that they have, probably can't afford to go play in some of these experienced T two markets that are out there would you agree with me on that job and it's not a different position than chicago's in which is chicago everybody says oh they have you know 40 million in cap well not exactly they have in the high 20s in in effective cap which is a measurement of once you pay a 53 yeah uh, 53 man roster and they only have 30-something players total under contract. They have one wide receiver under contract. They have, like, two safeties under contract. It's They have a lot of holes. They don't have a lot of money. So they, too, are going to have to go digging around on the bottom and try and find a guy who was either in a bad system fit, coming off an injury, or, you know, just for one reason or another, didn't mesh with his current situation. So he didn't light it up. And you're basically gambling on potential. And to get those guys, again, you're probably going to have to pay a little bit more because you always do in free agency. You always overpay in free agency unless you wait to the very last minute and give a guy a, hey, do you want to keep playing deal, which is not even a prove it deal. It's a, would you like to play football this year? I'll give you a million or two because that's all I've got left. So in the middle before that happens, some of the guys that the Bills could look at, I'm going to bang the table for OJ Howard because O.J. Howard is, you know, he's been T.E. three forever in Tampa Bay. He still has T.E. one potential like he hasn't been injured. We know what he did at Alabama. He can block at his size. He can catch passes. He hasn't been able to do it, but he's been in a loaded tight end room. A lot of people thought, oh, the unlock's going to be Brady. It wasn't. So Howard comes out at a low ebb, like high potential, low ebb. And somebody could throw a ton of money at him, but I doubt it. And so there's a buy low, hope to get high value when you increase his role guy. Oh, man, I, watched, Con- he, he, I was I was just going to say he murdered Clemson, OJ. Like, I have the shirt. OJ yeah. murdered Clemson. And it was one of the coolest things. Like, watching it happen on TV, a tight end putting up 212 yards in a national title game. And then to go from that to just a relative unknown in the NFL. Like, hey, nobody knows you. You disappeared. The day you got drafted was the last anyone heard. Yeah, everybody's forgotten. And that's the kind of guy that you try and take advantage of, right? You're like, hey, nobody's banging down your door. Nobody's giving you a day one free agent offer. But we still believe that you can do both things. So you're a value to us. And, you know, for the same reason, I'd like to see Chicago go after him. 
Another guy is Tyler Conklin, but he's probably going to be one of those that gets dollars, right? Because he's had enough production. And I think people see the light has come on. It's not coming on. It's already come on. And somebody's going to throw an overloaded deal at him because they believe. And that sort of takes you out of the running there. Will Disley is a guy that plays in my neck of the woods for the Seahawks. He can provide some of that blocking and some receiving. He's got red zone chops. Um, Seahawks used him for that. Uh, you know, he's had an injury. I Again, might not be the hottest name on the board. Could certainly last to wave two and maybe to wave three. You never know, um, depending on how those medicals come back. And the last guy is a former Titan or soon to be former Titan, I think. Anthony Ferkser, who had a huge little burst, not last year, but the year before, where for about six or eight weeks, he was one of the hottest tight ends in the league. Um, everybody learned his name. Everybody learned what school he was from. And then he faded sort of back into obscurity uh, with Arthur Smith leaving. He didn't get as many targets. And he kind of went back to his TE2 duties, right, as a sign. Lots of blocking in Mike Vrabel's offense. and um, But he's got that, you know, people haven't forgotten. He's got that receiving ability on tape in the NFL. So, but again, not a guy that's going to get high dollar day one offers. So you kind of can play wait and see with those last three guys and say, Hmm, all right. The market's not developing. Let's see if we can sniff around and see if we're in the market for this. See, Chris, is that a position you want to be in though? <clears throat> tight. What's the, the tight end two. Yeah. I mean, we made it to the divisional round and basically should have been in the championship game with one tight end. Well, doesn't it technically like take longer for tight ends to acclimate from college to the pros? And we only have Dawson. We only have Dawson Knox on the roster that's that's capable. And that's what I was going to ask EJ. Are there any tight ends in this draft that you think are quick fixes for this or? Well, you know. Like you said, there is no quick fix at tight end. That's it. It is extremely rare for a tight end to come in and put up numbers. Like even the best tight ends put up between four and maybe 550 yards their freshman year in the NFL. Kyle Pitts took half a season to find traction. Yeah, and Kyle Pitts is not a tight end. He actually hurt himself, I think. He should have declared as a wide receiver just for the cap number you were talking about. Because he would be eligible for a much higher cap number. Why would you – and again, maybe you have a bad agent, but like what – There was a lot of talk about that last year. Like why is he not just declaring as an ex-receiver? Because he can play that and he'll get paid for it. Um, That aside – In terms of what you said earlier about nuance and role, like if you're not expecting them to take receptions away from Dawson Knox, and you're probably not if you're the Buffalo Bills and you're smart, like can we get a guy that can come in and he can cut his teeth on blocking? We're going to keep that extra offensive lineman off the field. We're going to get a little extra dynamism, but largely this is a guy that we're going to pick out of probably round – low round four or on, um, possibly down into the sixes and sevens, depending on who's left. And we're really looking for one aspect. And if he brings us anything else in the passing game, we're lucky. And there are guys like that. This is a very deep tight end class. There are not a lot of stars, but there are a lot of guys in each category, pass catchers, blockers. There's not too many all around studs in this class. Um, but I've got four names for you. Um, 
Daniel Bellinger from San Diego State, he actually ran pretty well today. He ran in the four high four sixes, which was uh, faster than expected for him. But he's one of the better blockers in the class. Um, guy I got to see at the Shrine Bowl, Nicholas Muse. That's Tanner Muse's little brother from South Carolina. He had a very nice Shrine Bowl week. Um, both receiving, but man, he is a dog in blocking. He has a big enough frame and he has the want to, which is probably the bigger deal. Um, a guy that's kind of getting forgotten that was, uh, you know, in an elevated position for most of the college season because of who his quarterback was is Lucas Krull from Pitt. And that's a massive dude. Like he's a big tight end. He's six, six mid two fifties. Like he's all that. Not the greatest pass catcher can certainly catch passes, but if you want somebody to wall off somebody down near the goal line, he can do it. Um, and I think he's going to fall a little bit because he's not going to run a great time. Um, a lot of other folks, uh, we saw Jelani Woods, who's a guy that I really like out of UVA, have a great day athletically today. And, you know, if he moves up the board, somebody has to move down. And that could be Crawl. And the last guy I'll give you is a little bit more dynamic, but everybody's forgotten about him. And it's because he was injured last year. And that's James Mitchell from Virginia Tech. He was going to be one of the top returning tight ends in the league, uh, in the nation probably, and ended up getting injured. Uh, early on before the season and kind of everybody forgot about him and he's had a full year to heal and somebody's going to get a value on that guy. And he showed some real dynamism in 2020. Um, I, he's going to be a steal for somebody if he's healed upright. So it just sounds to me like maybe we shouldn't be looking at free agency to fix this because it's just something that a doesn't feel like it needs to be fixed and B the cost to do so is just rising every week. And the closer we get to free agency, the worse that dynamic's going to become. Now, pivoting to the running back position, I just emailed you something that I promised you I'd send you a couple days ago. <laughs> Philosophy for this position, in four years as the Buffalo Bills GM, Brandon Bean hasn't made a whole lot of effort to procure star power at the running back position. He just hasn't. So when mm-hmm. I see things on ESPN this morning about, oh, the Bills trade their first-round pick for McCaffrey— Brandon Bean has done everything here to tell me he does not care about star running backs. And some of this is related to league trends and what has been widespread devaluation at the running back position. I think most teams run committees. There's not a whole lot of teams anymore who have. I think back to this, and there's something I was I was laughing about this morning as I had my sick kid and I was rocking him to sleep in his nursery. Um Ruben Drones was a starter and was a fantasy football name at one point in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. That that guy, if Nick Chubb played in that era of football, he would be an all-star. Unfortunately, he doesn't. He plays that style of game, but that game, style of game is passed. And yet, there's very few stars. It's usually, hey, you have a Nick Chubb, but you also have an Alvin Kamara, and you also have... Uh, you're the Bills who, hey, we have Josh Allen. <laughs> we have a Josh Allen so we can afford to get away with a Singletary and a uh, Zach Moss. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. First of all, the most significant piece of capital he's ever invested into it was a third-round pick. That's mm-hmm. it. That's, that's as high as he's willing to go to address the running back position. And then when names have come available, not even just on the trade market, but just, hey, we're out here. I'm talking about uh, Melvin Gordon, uh, Adrian Peterson gets released and he's out there saying, I want to play for somebody. He's a guy who, you know, still has some chops. 
He kept our team completely out of the frame. It was like, hey, we're not interested. Whatever you're going to pay, that's not me. So he won't pay in the market. He won't pay in draft capital. It almost smells like he doesn't value this. And, Chris, we discuss this every se- every offseason. I make a chart. There's evidence out there to support the idea that maybe devaluing this is the right move. Now, I, what, I, what you have in front of you and what I've sent to Chris here, it's a chart. 27 running backs had more than 800 yards rushing or more than five touchdowns. There were six teams in there with running backs in the top 10 for cap hits that didn't qualify for the playoffs. That's frustrating, right? You bought this running back. You have an expensive running back. You assume that that is he's the engine that's going to run my team. That's why we paid him. Why am I not competitive? Seven players, seven teams with running backs that topped a thousand yards rushing in 2021. Three of them were on rookie contracts. If you look at over 800 yards, though, that number jumps to 13 players. If you throw in the four UFAs who signed small dollar prove it deals, like hey Latavius Murray, James Conner, who just came out of nowhere and had himself a season, fifteen touchdowns, that's yeah. wild. That's Lendell White when he was cherry picking everything off CJ two K. That's <laughs> that's oh no, I know because that cost me so much money. <laughs> I I had. I had uh, Johnson and Lendell White kept stealing all the touchdowns. I was like, you sons of bitches. I'm never going to win here. What you're looking at is 63% of the NFL's most impactful running backs last season were either on rookie contracts or were guys on short prove-it deals who had just been hemorrhaged by somebody else who didn't know what they had or didn't know how to use them. When you look at that, what do you think about what this says about a team going into free agency and trying to pay for a running back? Um, same thing as we said with the tight end market. There's there's no sense in paying running backs. There just isn't. There is more supply than demand needs. And that's that's all this is. It's market econ. You can get a guy. And you said Brandon Bede spent a third, and I'm I'm actually sitting over here as a draft guy going, it's kind of high. <laughs> Right. And that's a very new perspective. Right. And the idea that you draft a running back high in the first couple of rounds or that you pay him a second contract is outdated for all the reasons that you said. Everybody runs at least a two back committee. Many teams run a three back committee. That means they're all going to have somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 touches throughout the year. They're going to spread them out. And the four teams that were left in the playoffs to get ready for the Super Bowl we're four of the bottom 10 teams in rushing in the NFL. You don't you don't have to rush to win anymore. Like, that's no. not a thing. No, one of my favorite dynamics was this concept that Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry goes out with injury and everyone goes, well, the Titans, they're done. That's it. They're going to lose the one seed. They, won't, they might not make the playoffs. They used a three-back committee to replicate. Now, now, mind you, there wasn't it wasn't without ripple effect. Tannehill's passer rating took a massive dive. Why? Because teams didn't have to crowd the box anymore. Sure. But they replicated yards per attempt. They replicated yards after contact. Like, they did all the things that they were doing with Derrick Henry from a statistical perspective with a three-back committee. And And everybody does. And that's the thing is Ryan Poles came out in Chicago this week and said, I don't know. I think I might pay David Montgomery when he comes up for a contract. (laughs) And those of us that are paying attention, we're like, 
look, David Montgomery's great and we love him. Don't do it. Don't do that. Like, Stop there's that. no reason to. He's a great player. He's a great locker room guy. He works super hard. Doesn't matter. You can replace him for basically nothing. Yep. And this draft is full of them. So in terms of free agency, again, you're in a wait and see mode. And if a player you like as a fit hangs out for a couple of weeks, doesn't get an offer, and you can offer him a bargain basement free agent deal, something that fits his veteran level, like go for it. But that is a late second, early third wave of free agency move. Oh, for sure. And here's one of the things I like about this. There's players like the James Connors of the world, these guys Mm -hmm. who took these low dollar deals. Yep. It all comes down to how they're utilized. And he is one of the he is a perfect example of this because I look at him and Chase Edmonds. They're both free agents right now for the Cardinals. They're going to have to figure out who to prioritize. And when you look at them side by side, you go, okay, well, this guy had 15 touchdowns. But he's a receiving back. He's in on third downs. He's the, and that's they run a spread offense. Maybe that's more important. Here's what I like: Connor outperformed Edmonds in terms of touchdown total yardage. Saw more carries. But in order to get a real idea of who the more impactful player is for any other team out there, who's not the Arizona Cardinals, I look at yardage before contact. Here's, here's what I learned from that, because to me, that stat is a signifier of how the offensive line did in blocking. I mean, Chris, the Jets have been terrible. For uh, Le'Veon Bell signs his free agent deal with uh, the Jets, and his yards before contact were the worst of his entire career. It was less than two. It, it, that tells you the line isn't doing its job, and that's why your running back struggle. But it also tells you the situations the players are used in. Are they going against heavy boxes versus, hey, is this guy running when teams are spread out because there's four wide receivers on the field? This is the case of James Conner and Chase Edmonds. 44% of Conner's total yardage comes prior to contact, right? That's low. But 69.9% of Edmonds does. 178 like, that's it. That's all the yardage after contact that he got this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it. But then it tells you, okay, we're using this one player in a very different role, and he still thrived. And yet, here's this guy who wasn't as impactful, and he had every opportunity to succeed. Devin Singletary has led the NFL in runs against runs against light boxes. He's been in the top five every year since he came into the league. That's not by accident. They use him nope. when they spread the field, knowing that he's not the fastest back, but his contact balance is good. Maybe he can slip a tackle and get an extra five, six yards. That's it. That's all they're looking for out of him. He's not a guy I expect that they retain. He's not going to see a second contract. He shouldn't. So that's it. And you look at this and you look at the two players that Arizona has, and this is the problem with free agency. You say, who am I going to prioritize? I wouldn't prioritize either. I'd say, look, both of them are going to cost you more than going and getting a rookie who might be able to do both of the things that they do. So with that in mind, if the Buffalo, I mean, because there's this whole Tony Pollard, Zeke Elliott. I mean, I've got a ton of stats here in front of me, but I'm not going to waste your time with this. There's a whole bunch of players I don't like for the Bills. Chase Edmonds, Melvin Gordon, Sony Michelle, Phil Lindsay, and I could go on about why. There's a couple players that I'd want to pick your brain about their fit here in Buffalo. The big one is Marlon Mack. Marlon Mack is my favorite (laughs) because he's this elusive thing where you're like, if I can just again, what you just talked about with OJ Howard, if I could Mm -hmm. buy stock in something that's been maligned and kind of forgotten about, but has high efficiency and could be something close to what it was when it was at its peak. 
You come out a winner. What do you think about Marlon Mack on the free agent market? Well, it'd be great if you could get him, but you can't. So, I mean, we're good there. So, <laughs> anyways, Bears over Bears, we did a show. Our show this week uh, was free agency bargain bin shopping. And Marlon Mack is one of the guys I put a star next to because – he was the fourth running back in that room, not through any fault of his own. He blew his Achilles. Um, before that, he's very productive. And guess who the new coach of the Bears is? <laughs> it's Eberflus. He's got staff familiarity. He's going to come over, and if Getzi likes him, and again, he gets a damaged goods contract because they're not sure whether or not he's healed, he'll probably end up in Chicago. Now, if he doesn't, he'd be a great option for the Bills. Um I think it is, again, a buy low and hope that he comes out high. Same thing they did with Connor, right? Connor was coming off an injury. And everybody, I I was on the anti-James Connor train. They signed him. I was like, yeah, whatever, don't care. I said the same thing. He ends up putting up a huge amount of touchdowns and being much more effective than he was his last year before he got injured in Pittsburgh. So Marlon Mack is a guy that I think occupies that profile. And, you know, if – if there is some skepticism about a running back coming off an Achilles, now he's had a full year to heal at this point, like shouldn't be as big a deal. And we saw, you know, Cam Akers come back off an Achilles and look like he had more pop, which was crazy. Yeah, that was that was absurd. Him running in the Completely. Super Bowl. And I was like, oh, a friend of mine bet the over on his rushing yards in the Super Bowl. I told him, you're a lunatic. He's not healthy enough for that. I, I'm the one who looks like a jerk off over here in the corners. Yeah. We're watching that Super Bowl. Uh, the other guy that I think about in free agency that might be interesting to the Bills, again, because it's going to be in their neighborhood, is Boston Scott. Yes. Right? He's he's a guy that has been really productive with his touches when he's got him. Again, a guy that's third on the depth chart, so he hasn't had a ton of mileage on him, which is a thing with running backs. He's good in the passing game. He's deceptively good in the passing game for his size. Um you know, that's a guy that you can kind of hang around, gives you an element that you don't have in Singletary and Moss, might be available to you financially. Like, that's something I would sniff around. Like, anybody else gives Boston Scott a deal, I'm not going to compete, right? It's not going to be a bit oh, yeah, more, no. but if he's hanging out, I would say you're interested in, you know, fair market deal, here you go. Like, a couple of years, let's give it a shot because I think Josh Allen could put him to use in a really good way. Um, but other than that, in terms of free agency, you said you had two. Who's your other guy? Uh, the other guy is J.D. McKissick. This is one more Bills fans are talking about. And I sure. just want to know what you think, because I look at this and I see 81% catch rate. I see 9.2 yards per reception in 2021, which would have trumped all Bills running backs. Mm-hmm. Same thing with his more than 300 yards receiving. The Bills, just to give you guys listening at home a, kind of a corollary. Singletary got targeted 50 times in 2021. McKissick saw about six more targets than that. He had four more yards per target, one more touchdown, and 190 more receiving yards. Six more first downs. I mean, he was he was a far more impactful player in the in those moments when they needed a receiving back. Is he someone you see as a fit for our team? Because our fan base seems to think so. Your fan base is smart. They no, they're not. Don't give them that much credit. <laughs> well, all right. We'll keep we'll keep the head small. But no, McKissick, the problem with McKissick is smart fans are like, yeah, I know what he would bring. 
And the NFL is basically smart fans. Like the league is much higher on McKissick than the average fan is. He doesn't have great recognition, name recognition outside of his home team in terms of what he does, or I would really say outside of his home division. Um, they're pretty familiar. They've seen him produce. But you ask, you know, somebody out west, oh, you know, is McKissick in your top 10 receiving backs in free agency? They're probably going to say no. Um, unless they're really well informed, play fantasy football, won <laughs> yeah. a championship because of him, you know, something <laughs> like that. But the league knows about McKissick. He's not he's not some secret, he's right? And a bunch of teams need that. So yeah. that means multiple bids. That means the money is probably going to be where you don't want to try and spend it. So you're right back to the draft. Going to wide receiver. I've heard a lot of Bills fans saying things like, well, we've got the great wide receivers. We're set there. We should spend money in the trenches. We should do this. We should do that. Whoever you are out there, in the words of Detective John Kimball from the movie Kindergarten Cop, stop it. Stop saying these things that are categorically untrue. (laughs) Last week. If only you had that power, Jerry. Yeah, right? If only. Like, last week we talked about how at a certain point in a team's development, depending on Super Bowl window and how close you think you are, a team needs to start prioritizing like, hey, if we're going to go out here and we're going to build our roster, we need wide receivers. Can I trust critical roles to rookies? And now you can maybe speak to more of this than I can. Rookie wide receivers have begun providing more to their teams earlier on in their careers lately. I think in the last like two or three years. (coughs) Gabe Davis. (laughs) (laughs) So we've seen some of this early on wide receivers giving their teams a boost early. I'm talking about Michael Gallup. I'm talking about guys like uh, uh, CeeDee Lamb who just, hey, he's, he's a great wide receiver in the NFL. Right out of the box. Never mind the uh, Jamar Chases, who won me a fantasy title this year. Uh, the Justin Jeffersons. There's wide receivers who are acclimating quicker to the pro game. So you see people go, well, we could just draft guys. But to me, I feel like the learning curve at wide receiver to the NFL is pretty steep. It's it's not as steep as tight end, but it's, it's a hard one. I was going to say, we just talked about a steeper one. It's a hard one. Yeah. And so a team needs to prioritize salary cap versus like salary cap flexibility long term versus I'm in a window and I need to win right now. I have a star quarterback. I have a team that's kind of floating on the verge of losing some of its star players like the Buffalo Bills is or are. I don't know. I just I feel like the and also the way our philosophy, Chris, you look at how our team treats rookies. McDermott with Humber and Milano. Ramon Humber started half a season over Matt Milano. Not because Milano wasn't talented, but because McDermott makes rookies earn their their snaps. And that sucks because you see guys like Gabe Davis, who are clearly weapons, get, I don't want to say marginalized, but you have to produce. And if he's not practicing well, you don't play. Because I have a veteran over here who proved he can do it, and eh, I trust him. There's a thing now with Bean that he's going to have to do because Josh Allen has one more year on his rookie deal and then he's going to get paid. And then Dawkins has a reasonable left tackle contract. You're going to have to start looking to bargain basement free agent wide receivers 
or the draft to get wide receivers in here and at cost ba- control. And that's basically where we are. And the problem with that is that we have multiple holes. And EJ, as I told you before, we, earlier in the week in my email, slot wide receiver, major concern because two, the only two contributors that we had last year in this capacity are both free agents. There's an opportunity that neither one comes back. Neither one could be back here. McKenzie was our motion jet sweep option. Beasley was the guy who beat zone coverage and sat down behind linebackers. I I don't know. That's it. And that's become a security blanket for Josh. That's a problem. We have a a rookie kick returner this. We had one this year. He will come back next year. He He was highly productive. He also has a hands issue. He fumbles a little bit too much for our head coach's liking. He's pretty good on punt returns against the Bears. <laughs> I love how you're going to bring that up. Come I mean, on. it's, oh, pre- yeah? it's preseason. It's, it's, you know, low-hanging fruit. Low-hanging fruit. It's all good. Leave it to Chris to punch down in a moment like this. <laughs> so we've got hey, a rookie. Bills fans, if Bills fans know anything after the last, oh, Three decades, it's it's how to get punched down. Huh? Yes, that's true. We have, and I feel like that's why we, that's what helped hone our skills is the pettiest Bills podcast. Like, that's what got us to where we are. But he finished with a return average two yards better than McKenzie. Kick return average that was just .7 yards per return lower. He's probably our returner, but he has no offensive upside. So this slot problem that the Bills could potentially have is massive. And then there's also this wide receiver 2-3 thing. Because Gabe Davis, he's effective. We know that. But he's great when he's working inside. When he goes up the seam against linebackers and slot corners and safeties. When he, when he moves outside as a Z receiver, I don't know. I don't know that he's as effective. And so it becomes this negotiation where what do you want to do you want to prioritize finding another Z? so that we can put Gabe Davis inside as a mismatch most games. This is the negotiating you're doing now in the terms of how we've built this roster. Some of these can be patched over with singular investments. Some of them might take multiple players. If you were talking about some of the most multifaceted wide receivers on the market who might help what we have going on that's wrong in the slot department, special teams department, who do you think they might be? You know, there's there's only a couple of names that came up because of that Gabe Davis sliding to the inside thing. Like, he's good outside, he's better inside, and that, that complicates things. Yes. If he was just great outside, um, I think the options are a lot more clear, but Christian Kirk's going to get a big deal, and I don't think he should. So I don't think Brandon Bean's going to go anywhere near him. And the guy that I think has some flexibility to do exactly whatever Gabe Davis is not doing, going inside or outside, is Zach Pascal. Really? And I'm yep. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure what Zach Pascal's market's going to be. I should check with my, I should check with my free agency guy, um, who's real good with estimates, and say, what do you think the potential market for Pascal is? And I think it's going to be, again, greater than a lot of average NFL fans are going to think because he had a good year last year and he was really effective in his in his targets. You know, he was not the top receiving option at all. Uh, he was at best the sort of third receiving option in that room. 
which again is good if you're free agency hunting because you don't want the guy that was number two yeah, last year. No, produced a you lot. don't want that. You want the guy yeah, who's low. So, you talked about low hanging fruit. That's it. He is the low yeah, hanging fruit. So He's the guy that nobody knows he, about. You know, and that's the thing is if you need a, a flexible two slash three that can do two things. I think Zach Pascal's a guy on that market in free agency that can do that. Are there other guys? Yeah, there are other guys. It it becomes more of an either or as you go farther down. And the bottom line is there's a bunch of guys in the draft that if you're looking for slot receivers a little bit farther down, there's a bunch of guys. And strangely enough, you had to bring up Gabe Davis because there's a guy that reminds me of Gabe Davis. He's not as fast, but he is good sized. He has very similar size to Davis. He has great hands. He was super productive, and they played him in the slot a little bit in college. They played him outside, and they played him in the slot. And I got to see him at the Senior Bowl, and that's Javon uh, Haley. It looks like Haley, but it's Haley from Coastal Carolina. He's got good sizes, over six, uh, just over six foot, just about 200 pounds right at. Um, super productive. Runs really good routes. Not overly fast. Not going to blow the doors off anybody but had a shitload of yards at Coastal Carolina. And because everybody's going to, you know, everybody loves speed this time of year. Oh, yeah. Everybody's going to look at all these four twos and four threes, and they're going to see, you know. There's a, there's a ton of them run. today. A ton of four, sub four four is crazy today. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there. I mean, people, people open some eyes, but he's going to be around. He was, again, a Shrine Bowl guy. Um. Danny Gray from SMU is crazy fast out of the slot. Um, pretty good hands. Um, Kyle Phillips is, I think, the best slot guy in this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let me lightning around this real quick because I want to run down all sure. the bad ideas and maybe good ideas that we've had on this podcast or in the, <laughs> as a fan base that we've had over the last – Yeah, let's hit it. Braxton Berrios for the Buffalo Bills – Terrible idea, in my opinion, because he doesn't give you any offensive upside. He's a kick returner, maybe not even that. Maybe he had one lucky year. Um, no, I, I don't think it's a terrible idea. I don't think it's a great idea. Uh, okay. But I think it's better than you do by a little bit. Okay, Byron Pringle and Mikael Hardman, small targets with speed and special teams utility. You need to scheme them open. You'd have to work because they're not big guys. They can't do it alone. But they finished second and third, respectively, in the entire NFL in average separation. Now, most of that is because everyone's paying attention to the other guys on the roster. But they could find that dynamic here in Buffalo. They could find that same thing here in Buffalo. (sighs) Do you think that the Bills could replicate what they did with those two players here in Buffalo? With Pringle, yes. With Hardman, no. Uh, Pringle's a better route runner. He's more stout. Somebody's going to pay Hardman for the speed. Like, Mikkel Hardman's a fast dude. Somebody's going to think that they can line him up at Z and have him be super productive, and they're going to throw too much money at him. Russell Gage, was he just a product of a bad football team with a lot of targets to go around, or is he a talented wide receiver? No, I love Russell Gage. He was one of the guys I highlighted for the Bears. Taller wide receiver, again, not super fast, more in the possession role. Can get deep largely just because of his size, um, but he's better in that big slot role than he is. So ah. that gives you the Gabe Davis thing. You're going to be pushing right. to the outside. Okay. I don't think you want to run Gage as a No, zip. no. And MVS, Mar- Marquez Valdez-Scandling, uh. third highest average depth of target in the NFL in 2020. Second in 2021, 
deep speed. He's got route running to get behind linebackers. Production declined by more than 200 yards and two touchdowns. But Rodgers kind of had tunnel vision last year. He was just, I mean, you saw it in that playoff game. He was only looking at one wide receiver. I, I don't know. I think he's a guy who could be what John Brown was when we brought him in, when he hit his first thousand yard season in his career. But he also posted the second lowest catch percentage in the NFL. <laughs> is, yeah. is this guy a the dog? The difference between MVS and John Brown is John Brown is just over six foot and MVS is tall. And height, weight, speed plays in the NFL and somebody's going to pay him because they're going to believe that. So you think he's going to cost? He's going to cost a yeah. buck. Okay. Somebody, I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of teams, but I think there's going to be a couple that go, oh, dude, look. He's tall. He's fast. <laughs> They're going to skip the rest. Jarvis Landry. The talk is that he's being cut. Bills fans hate this guy. The sentimental ones. The the unpractical, I don't care about wins and losses. I care about you hurt my player on an illegal crackback block and didn't get kicked out of the league for it. You, mm. ended, you ended our favorite safety's career. Fair. Fair to a certain extent. But one hell of a slot player. Yeah, absolutely. I I think probably going to get priced out. Again, people know Jarvis Landry is a good football player. He's not going to be a value um, no. in terms of he's going to get paid because people know if you need that role. And again, you're talking about putting Davis outside, which I don't have a problem with because he's got the speed to take the top off the defense. That's what he was coming out of college. So, you know, Throwing Landry inside, hyper-productive. I mean, one of the few players that you could look at that's going to approach anywhere near Beasley's kind of stratospheric production with any sort of reasonable certainty. If they were willing to meet that price tag, do you think that he would be a good fit for the Buffalo Bills? Yeah, Josh would love him. Josh would get really comfortable with him really fast. He's where he's supposed to be. He's on time. He catches the ball. He's a pro. He plays through contact. Like, is he going to stretch the field for you? No, but that's not why you get him. That's not why you pay Beasley either. Like, he could replace that security blanket factor real quick. Hot damn. EJ, I know you, you're a busy man. You got work to get back to. We've already kept you too long. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find all of the work that you're putting in tonight, tomorrow night, the next month and a half? Uh, where can they find it? Where can they find you on social? Where can, what do you have coming up on the show? Tell us all of it. Sure. So Twitter's the the main place to follow for me. It's at the Draftsman FB, as in football. Um, you'll find links to pretty much everything there. The channel is Bootleg Football on YouTube. Type in Bootleg Football, you'll find it there. We just launched a Clips channel about a month ago, which yes. is where we're going to be putting shorter content, uh, interviews from the Shrine Bowl, stuff like that, uh, more quick hitting stuff. Uh, newsflash, we might be dipping our toe in that TikTok pond, so watch oh, for that. Oh, no. Oh, it's true. TikTok went to 10 minutes now, so we are like, hey, we think we can fit, because before we were like, oh, we can't do stuff that short. It's not possible. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's if, if you're following one of those three or four places, you'll find me. EJ Snyder, you can go follow him on Twitter at the Draftsman FB, part of the Bootleg Football Podcast, with a friend of the show, Brett Coleman. God, I love these conversations because it brings in, I feel like this time of year, 
And I feel like in general, Bill's content creators have done a really good job. Chris, we came a long way from being one of the first podcasts to now there's 40 of them. And there's a lot of collaboration going on, which is great. It's 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 incredible for our market. One hand washes the other. At the same time, when it comes to topics like this, topics like the draft, I always find value in going off the reservation and getting outside opinions. Just because we can all we watch the bills. We we love our football team. It's why we do this. We can become so mired in our own opinions of players, situations, what our team's needs are, that sometimes it's interesting to hear what an outsider thinks who also understands the game of football at a high level. So with that in mind, I always love having EJ in. It's, it's always a blast. Him and Brett do a great job. Make sure you're listening to the Bootleg Football Podcast. I know, Chris, you make that a weekly thing. Yeah, listen to it uh, every Saturday at work. Hmm. <sighs> it's been a great time, but for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. Tune in next week when Anthony Prohaska joins us in studio for what I think will be his first ever live appearance with anybody. Seems reasonable. I, I can't wait. We got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been your Rock Pal Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.